Our reading this evening is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, and we're actually going to read from verses 1 to 11, but it's on page 1179 in the Church Bibles and 1785 in the large print. And the section here is entitled, Imitating Christ's Humility. So from verse 1. Therefore, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thanks, Martin. Let's um, pray as we uh, study God's word together. Father God, we do pray that as we look together at your word now, that you would reveal Christ to us, that we might see him in all his beauty, and all his glory, and that we might respond to him. We pray that you would indeed take our lives. We pray that you would transform, renew, and change them, that we might be a living sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know whether Christmas will be the same for you this year without something quite special on Christmas Day happening. I know for some of you fans, you'll be disappointed that there's no Christmas Day special at Downton Abbey. Of course, it was the last one last year, wasn't it? Um, I must admit, I saw some of the early series, but I wouldn't say I got a bit bored with it, but um, maybe I wasn't a diehard fan. Um, But I wonder what it is about programs like this that grab people's attention is it the, the costumes the, the big country house um, the English manners and customs as they used to be or is there a fascination with um, the good old British class system after all it really was just a remake of upstairs downstairs from the, uh, the early 70s really wasn't it but there is something about the, the us and them thing that I think that, that intrigues us when we went to live in Brazil, we, we found it a real culture shock um, when we saw there was an expectation for us to employ a, a live-in maid. 
Uh, it's okay having that employer-employee relationship in the workplace, but um, when it comes into your own home, um, it's a little bit odd. Well, the interesting thing about Downton Abbey was um, when there was that movement between the classes amongst the servants, there were those who were quite comfortable with their situation, very loyal servants. There were others who wanted to escape and improve their, their lot. Sadly, most of them failed. Um, there was the servant girl, Ethel, who ended up getting pregnant and uh, was kicked out of the house. Uh, there was Thomas, who tried to make money on the black market, but ended up being cheated and ruined. But then even more intriguing was the, the movement in the other direction. Remember Lady, Lady Sybil, one of the daughters of the Earl, who became a nurse during the war, um, and then shocked the house by announcing that uh, she was going to give up her whole inheritance, uh, her comfortable way of life, to be with a man she loved, who was the chauffeur. People who are considered in human terms to have everything necessary for a comfortable life and then give it up are considered a little bit crazy. When I mentioned that I used to be uh, an investment banker, um, people look at you thinking, hey, why would you want to give that up? But there's no human sacrifice that gets anywhere near the sacrifice that we're looking at in this passage this evening. How Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the creator of the, the universe, to whom all angels would, would bow, should give up his position in heaven and come to earth. He gave up everything. He gave it up voluntarily for us. Now, that's the mystery of the, the incarnation. Why, if you were God, would you give up your glory in heaven and come down and humble yourself by coming into the world of humankind? In the world's eyes, that is not humbling yourself, that is humiliating yourself. If you have something, then you keep hold of it. Or you use that position to get even more. To throw it away is seen in the world's eyes to be weakness. Yet why is it that God values humility so much? And why, as Christians, do we find it sometimes so hard? Well, let's see what this passage um, tells us this evening. Verses um, 6 to 11 will be very familiar to many of you. They are believed to be a hymn or a creed that the the early church would uh, have sung or recited as they expressed what they believed. And the first thing we read here is that Christ Jesus was in very nature God. He's part of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons in one Godhead who are equal in their divine being, although they have different roles to perform. The Son, we're told, being obedient to the Father. But what it says here is that although Jesus was equal with God, it says he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Or as other translations have it, something to be grasped. It's quite a difficult um, expression to really fully understand. One suggestion the commentators have come up with is that as God, enjoying the glory of heaven, Jesus didn't try and cling on to that. And like many human leaders we see who, who reach a position of power and status and are desperate to, to hold on to it. Last year we saw um, Alison and Jez get caught up in the conflict in Burundi as the, uh, the president there insisted on standing for a, a third term in office even though it was against the constitution. Only yesterday the president of, uh, of Gambia 
um, whose name I can't pronounce, Yaya Yame, who lost in the recent election after 22 years in power, refused to accept the results, which might make life difficult for Liz, Kathy, and Sandra when they go through Gambia next month. Let's pray for them. Jesus didn't cling on to his heavenly status. He gave it up. The translation we have here is, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Again, it's a very human thing for those in positions of power and influence to use them to their advantage, to feather their own nests. And in many ways, that was what original sin was, was all about. Man was given a position of privilege, made in the image of God to enjoy, enjoy a relationship with him, to enjoy everything on this earth. And he tried to, to exploit it, to take advantage of it. Humankind grasped after the chance to be like God. And Christ Jesus behaved in a very different way. He humbled himself for us. He chose to take on a lowly position. He wasn't humiliated in the sense of being forced to do something against his will. He chose to be humble, to become a man, knowing it would mean being beaten and killed. So what did it mean for Jesus to to humble himself? Well, first, as it says here, he made himself nothing. Literally, he, he emptied himself which again has prompted lots of discussion. If he emptied himself, what exactly did he empty himself of? Was it his divine attributes? That's what some would say. That he emptied himself of his divine power and knowledge, but retained his, his holiness and love. Which is why when we sing that, that great hymn by, by Wesley, And Can It Be? We sing he emptied himself of all but love. But I wonder if that's really what Paul is is getting at here because rather than giving up something of his divine nature more likely he was giving up the status and majesty that went with his divine being he gave up his heavenly throne for a while before being exalted to the place to which he rightly belonged when he conquered death and rose to life he made himself nothing Another way of how I'm saying he humbled himself is that he took on the very nature of a servant. What is humble uh, about a servant? Well, he serves another. His job is to put the interests of another first, to make sure they are okay rather than himself. And for God to choose to do that is quite amazing, isn't it? It would be one thing to choose to be uh, a powerful man, a warrior-type figure, a ruler of the planet who everybody is in awe of the sort of Messiah the Jews were expecting. But he chose to become a normal human being, a carpenter, whose divine power was in his authority to teach, to heal, to cast out demons, to bring back from the dead, to forgive sin. All aspects of serving. And the reason Jesus was able to come and serve was because he was all sufficient in himself. He was God. He was secure in his relationship with the Father and the Spirit, and so he came to serve. And the way in which he came to serve was he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. As he said himself, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. 
the other interesting thing about Downton Abbey was that um, series where uh, when it came to the First World War and both servants and masters went off to serve their country together. Some may have been officers, some may have been soldiers, but, but life in the trenches wasn't much different for either of them. And in giving their lives, they were serving in exactly the same way. Jesus' servanthood meant he would become obedient to the Father to the point of dying for his people. It wasn't an easy thing to do. We know the torment that he, he went through. But he did that so we may have life. Now you may be thinking, well, why does Paul mention this here in this letter? Why did his readers need to, to know this? We've jumped into to Philippians 2 here, but, but Paul has spent the first chapter of his letter of Philippians talking about how thankful he is to God that God has begun a good work in them. He saved them. And he will carry that on to, to completion until the day of Christ. He wants them to grow. He wants them to have joy in their faith in Christ Jesus. He wants them to stand firm in one spirit, to not be afraid of opposition. But this is all in the context of the fact that Christ will one day come again. And this is the the Advent message, isn't it? That because Christ has come already, we can be confident that he will come again. And until he does come again, we need to focus on growing in likeness to him. And that's how we come on to our next uh, point. Because the main way in which we can do that is that we can become like Christ by humbling ourselves. A lack of humility, known as pride, is what separates man from God. Without humility, we, we can't actually believe in the first place. If we're not able to see our need for Christ, because we're so confident in our own achievements, if we're, we're wrapped up in pride, we won't be able to turn to Christ in repentance and faith. There are many things that may prevent us from putting our trust in Jesus and giving our lives to him, but at the root of all of those is pride. If the reason for rejecting Jesus is because of uh, intellectual doubts, then it's saying that I know better than God. I'm not prepared to hand over my doubts to him. If the reason is uh, that we don't think we have any need for him, we're saying we're confident in our own abilities and achievements. It's because we don't want to let go of control over our own lives and do the things we want to do. Then our pride is saying, I don't want to serve anyone else. I don't think Jesus deserves my worship. But Paul is writing to those who are already believers. Just because we are Christians doesn't mean we're free of pride. And it's actually a lack of humility that uh, in churches that leads to discouragement, that makes people leave churches, that often tears churches apart. So how do we act with humility? Well, have a look at verse 3, going back to the beginning of this, this passage. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition is to have a goal that is focused on ourselves. I'm going to achieve all that I can so I will be fulfilled. I'm going to be successful in my career. I'm going to be successful in my family life. I'm going to be successful in my sport or my music so that I can be pleased with myself and others will admire me. 
This selfish ambition. Vain conceit is similar in that it also is focused on oneself. Uh, But it's different because it says, actually, I don't really care what you think because I know what is best. I'm my own man. I will do what I want. I don't need you or your praise. I'm just going to do what I want to do. I don't need forgiveness. I don't care if Christ died for me. Now, if we're Christians, we may find that attitude shocking. And yet, because our lives are still tainted with sin, there's still a part of us that does things out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. That still says, I want to be my own person. No one is going to tell me what to do. I've always done things this way. Why should I change? There's still a part of us that says, actually, I'm right, and he or she is wrong. Part of us that doesn't even entertain the idea that we might actually be wrong ourselves. Loads of things in church life that we can disagree over that make us upset, that can cause us to fall out with with one another, and we're tempted to say, no, I know what is right here. No one can convince me otherwise. They just need to see that they've got it wrong. Or humility is to say, well, maybe I'm not right. Maybe even if I am right, the issue is not actually that important. I just need to let it go and put it in God's hands. He's far more interested in my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ than whether I'm right or not. Humility is to ask ourselves, why do I feel so strongly about this? Is it actually out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. This is the complete opposite to selfish ambition and vain conceit. It's saying, whatever I think about myself, I'm going to value others more. I'm going to consider that it's actually worth investing time and effort in them. That it's worth helping and encouraging them. It's worth looking out for their their interests, praying for them. Ultimately, it's about seeing potential in someone. The potential that God sees in them. Seeing them receiving their prize from Christ himself. That may seem a long way off as we look at some people. And you see how they think and behave now. But God can do a miraculous work in anybody. And you could play an important part in that work if you allow yourself to be used by God to achieve that. Humanly speaking, as we see people looking at potential in others in Beijing in 2008 when Chris Hoy won the Olympic gold in the men's cycle sprint, he he said about Jason Kelly, who was 12 years his junior, he said, watch this man, he's going to be good. And so when Kenny was selected instead of him for the sprint in the, the London Olympics, um, this is what Hoy said. He said, Jason deserves this opportunity. He has a greater chance of success in the sprint. Performed really well at the World Championships and he's stepped up even more since. They made the right call. It's not about individual ambition. It is about the team winning the greatest number of medals. Well, he did indeed go on to win the gold there and another three goals in Rio. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And and verse 4 carries on, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Are we thinking of the interests of others? Paul's concern for the uh, Christians in Philippi is that they mature 
in their faith. And that should be our concern for each other. Look back at what Paul prayed in verse 9 of chapter 1. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He could have spent the whole time praying that he would be released from prison. But more important for him was that these new Christians in Philippi would grow in their faith. I wonder what proportion of our time spent in prayer is about our own problems and worries, and many of us will have a lot of them. And what proportion about the interests of others and for those who don't yet know Christ, so they will put their, their faith in him. For those that do, that they would stand firm, that they would grow in their faith. The more time we actually spend praying for others, the more secure we will be in our own faith. The more joy we will have in our own faith. Have an attitude of humility. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Well, we need to follow the example of Christ and his humility. But where does this humility lead? Aren't we just uh, following a loser here? Somebody who's going to be humiliated and killed? Well, the final point is that he who humbles himself will be exalted. In his life, Christ taught that the last shall be first, that he who humbles himself shall be exalted. And if Christ had simply died, there would be a sense of, well, so what? What about the enemy of sin and death? How have they been dealt with just through his humility? Jesus died, but he was raised to life. He achieved victory over sin and death. And the great encouragement from this passage as we look to Christ coming again is that Christ has been exalted to the highest place. He's been given the name that is above every other name. He's been placed in the position of highest honor and supreme power. The reason that Jesus is exalted is because first of his total self-humbling. It's like the vindication, the father demonstrating his approval of his son. The father loves the son because he's obedient, because the son loved the father so much that he chose to be obedient to the point of death, rather than abandon the assignment that the father had given him. The father exalts the son because the father loves to exalt the humble. And so verse 9, have a look down, says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And you may ask, well, what exactly was the name that he was given? The name that he didn't somehow have before. Was it Jesus? Well, Jesus was the name of the humble servant who was crucified. Am I? help just to turn briefly to Acts chapter 2 just to 
back a few pages in your Bibles. Page 1094 if you have a church Bible. Have a look at verse 32. This is the first sermon at Pentecost. And Peter says this in verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And has poured out what you now see and hear. And then in verse 36, he finishes what he's saying with the words, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The name that Jesus has been given as he was exalted was Lord and Messiah, or Christ. Not that he wasn't Lord and Messiah before his resurrection, he was, but he had not fulfilled the mission of the Messiah until he died for us in and risen again. And so before his death and resurrection, the Lordship of Christ over the world hadn't been fulfilled. In order to be acknowledged as Lord and Messiah, the Son of God had to come, he had to defeat the enemy, he had to lead his people in triumph over sin and Satan and death. The name that is above every other name, therefore, is Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, victorious over all his enemies, the Lord is redeemed a people for himself. And if we are a Christian, as uh, many of us here tonight will be, We've submitted us, our lives to Christ as Saviour, but also to him as Lord. He is the King of our lives. We know that he reigns in our lives, but at the moment his kingship is not yet visible to the rest of the world. But when he comes again, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, whether of angels in heaven or of the living on the earth or of the dead under the earth. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible tells us that those who have not acknowledged him as Lord now will one day be forced to, to do that. For when he appears in glory, there will be something about that glory that will make everyone bow the knee. We don't know what that will look like, but we know it will happen because this is what it tells us in God's word. And then it will be to their everlasting shame. As we bow the knee now, as we accept him as Lord, then on that day we can look forward to it because it will be for our everlasting joy. To those who in faith humble themselves and bow the knee, they will be exalted. They will receive the crown of life. They will reign with Jesus forever. Praise him. Let's have a moment to just of quiet to praise the name of Jesus, praise the name of Jesus Christ as Lord. And think through what that means in your life, what it means for Jesus to be Lord. Have you humbled yourself? Have you submitted your whole life to, to Christ as Lord? If not, then pray for that humbling, that he would humble, that he would humble you that you would consider others more important than yourself. A moment of quiet. Father God, we praise you that 
Christmas 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came into this world. He came down from heaven. He gave up the glory of heaven and humbled himself and was obedient to death on a cross. And Father, we praise you that you raised him to life, you exalted him, and he now reigns on high. Father, we thank you for his example. We pray that we too, as we look forward to his coming again, would humble ourselves, that you would enable us to do that, to live lives of humility. Humility marked by a love and concern for, for others, for the interests of those around us. Lord, help our lives be marked by that. Rid us of any selfish ambition, any vain conceit. And replace that with the humility of Christ. And Lord, as we humble ourselves, Lord, will you exalt us as you have promised that one day we will reign with Christ on high in your presence. We look forward to that day when he will come again. In his name we pray. Amen.